How are y'all doing today? Good? Good. Let me uh, pray for us. God, we just ask that you would uh, meet with us in this place, Lord, that you would uh, open our eyes to see your presence, God, uh, in moments like these in, in daily life, Lord. We need you, God. We are truly desperate, Lord. Um, life is not meaningful without you, Lord. Would you reveal yourself in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Um, so we just finished a, a series here at Fullness called Prepare, which we've been talking about how uh, we can prepare ourselves for the move of God, the voice of God, the leading of God in our life. And uh, with that, we really wanted to move into a time of talking about how we then participate with God and what God's doing in the world. Um, and so today I want to talk about uh, kind of, I think, where this maybe begins, and that's simply being present to God. It's so easy to just move through life, uh, so busy, and God's like this little add-on, right? Um, but really being present to God in daily life, what does that look like? And I think we all want that, right? I mean, how many of y'all want to just go through life with God being this thing on the side? Like, we don't want that. We want God at the center, but it just sometimes feels so hard to, to live this way. Um, so the question that comes to my mind is, how can we posture ourselves to experience the ways that God is making his presence known in our life. Um, I want to say right now, anytime you ever experienced God, anytime you ever came into a deeper knowledge of God, it's because God revealed himself to you. There's no God, like, catch your gun. You can't, God's not a minion. You can't whistle for God, right? It'd be nice almost if you could, but that would be blasphemous at the same time. Um, God always, in his grace, comes and reveals himself to you. Um, but how can we try to posture ourselves to see the ways he's revealing himself to us in our life? And I believe that scripture teaches that one of the main ways we can posture ourselves uh, to be present to God in daily life is to recover a sense of holy things, of sacred things in the world and in the midst of life. One of the reasons I think that uh, a lot of us rarely feel present to God is that nothing's sacred to us anymore. Gathering corporately with Christians to worship God isn't treated as a holy thing. Marriage isn't really seen as something sacred. It's more of a contract between two lovers who hopefully they love each other. Um, Prayer is kind of treated as this conversation with my BFF and lifelong wingman, God, rather than this incredible opportunity to converse with the holiest being in the universe. I think of um, communion, for example. It's not treated as spiritual food, as Paul called it in 1 Corinthians. Instead, it's just something very common, common bread, common drink. Time isn't treated as something where holy moments can be had. Time is spent, really, rather than redeemed. Even for many evangelicals, the Bible is um, kind of just been reduced to this place where we find nuggets for the day to kind of juice us up so we can like make it through Thursday, right? 
that are, you know, every bit as Instagrammable as John Piper and Bono. And I think when we do that kind of thing, we treat the Bible that way, we, we reduce it. It becomes something common rather than something sacred, rather than the sacred scriptures that Paul called them in 1 Timothy. The Bible uh, isn't common. <laughs> if it was common, we wouldn't be basing an entire community around it. It's sacred, right? I, I almost miss the days when our Bibles were inscribed with the words, the Holy Bible. At some point, I guess that wasn't cooler. I don't know. It went out of style. Um, but it's kind of like, if this actually are, these are the words of God, let's own it and say, this is, these are, this is a holy book. This is a sacred book. It's not a common book. Um, so given all this, is it any wonder that so many of us rarely feel present to God when we no longer acknowledge sacred things in the world? I think this is a real issue. Um, after all, it's in this world that we're present, right? Not another world. So what do we do? As, well, as a result of all this, what we do is we retreat into our thoughts to try to find God. And then you and I act surprised when people who were born and raised in the church come to a point in their life where they wonder whether or not God is just the adult version of the imaginary friend. Right? We've essentially encouraged people to run into their thoughts to try to find God. Uh, we do 95% of our praying with our eyes closed. If any of you noticed, I opened up in prayer this morning with my eyes open. Um, and most all of y'all had your eyes closed. And the few of you that had your eyes open, I could tell were super uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I'm like looking at you while I'm talking to God. Um, we shut out the natural world in search of God. We've almost been trained to do this. Um, so I want to talk about being present to God today. Oh, I didn't put this slide up. But my definition of being present to God for us today is you're present to God when you sense or are able to acknowledge the sacredness of a moment in time and space. When you're able to say, this isn't a common moment. This is a God moment. This isn't a common sp time and space. This is a God moment in time and space. And that doesn't mean that it's like a happy moment, right? It can be joyful and, and happy. It could be tragic and painful. But to build a sense, the holiness or the sacredness of a moment, that it's distinct from common life. Um, so the word holy, also interchangeable with sacred, um, comes from the Old Testament word kadosh. And kadosh meant to be set apart. So you could, like, for example, you could have two bowls. The bowls are the same size, they're made out of the same material. And at this point, they're both just two common bowls. But if you took one of those bowls and you used it for um, sacred use in the tabernacle or the temple, it would then be called a holy bowl. And the other one that wasn't used for that is still common. So if something's holy, it means it's to be set apart for sacred use. Israel was to be a holy people, set apart from the nations for God's mission and plan in the earth. That's what it means to be holy, to be set apart. And it's juxtaposed with the word common. Um, so I want to look at Romans 14 today uh, as we talk about 
how we can have devotional practices and I think bring a, a recover a sense of sacredness to life um, and holiness. Um, so, with that said, let me read for us. I'll just read on the screen so we can all be together. Um, actually, before I jump in, let me give a little bit of context. So, uh, Paul's writing this letter to Christians at the Church of Rome, and there are two groups that he's addressing in this text. One group he terms the strong, and the other group he terms the weak. And by the strong, he's talking about these Gentile Christians. And the Gentile Christians, they uh, exercise their faith in a way that they deem to be strong, um, quote-unquote. Meaning, they say, we don't need to keep Sabbath, we don't need to do these you know, laws or these traditions or these devotional practices. Um, our, we, we, we don't have to do that. In good faith and conscience, we can not do those things and feel still justified and, and righteous and all that. And then Paul's talking about the weak, and the weak are the Jewish Christians, and they don't feel like they need to do these laws to be saved. That's not the issue. If they're not legalists. But they do still feel like, in good faith and conscience, I don't feel like I can work on Saturday. Like, I know I don't have to keep the Sabbath holy, but I, I really don't feel good about not keeping the Sabbath. I, I, I feel like I need to keep the Sabbath, right? And just out of their own sense of faith and conscience. Does that make sense? So those are the two groups that he's talking to here. So he says, as for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Real quick, this is a, a textbook example of what happens when you have a conservatively-minded group and a more liberally-minded group. So the tendency of, of a liberal group is to um, despise the more conservative group for the ways that they perceive their actions to be restrictive and legalistic, right? And the tendency of a conservative group is to judge the more liberally-minded group for the ways they just throw off sacred things that have been long held and are traditional and are the proper way to do things. That's the tendency of any group, whether it be politics, whether it be church or parenting or business or whatever. Um, that's the tendency of these groups. Liberals despise uh, with the conservatives, and conservatives tend to judge the liberals. And in this context, it has to do with devotional practices, right? And so Paul says, look, the real concern you need to have is whether or not God approves of these practices that your brothers are doing. And he goes on and says this, verse 5. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So what we have going on here is one person saying, it's the Sabbath, y'all. We got to keep the Sabbath holy, right? And there may be Gentile Christians saying, oh, actually, it's the Lord's Day. It's Sunday. That's the day Jesus rose from the dead. Clearly, that's a holy day. I mean, if anything, it's got to be Sunday. And there's other people saying, guys, there, there aren't special days. Like, Saturday is just as good as Tuesday, and that's all there is to it. There are no special days, right? What does Paul say? I think what Paul says is fascinating. He doesn't settle the issue. He doesn't pick a side. He just says, 
let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. You think, wow, Paul, like, can you be a little more pastoral than that? I mean, like, you're encouraging, surely, like, a church split right now. I mean, you're saying, you be fully convinced it's Saturday, you be fully convinced it's no day, and just work it out, right? Like, surely this is going to end in disaster. And you ask, well, Paul, why can you do that? Why can you tell them just to be fully convinced in their own mind? Well, this is why, verse 6. The one who observes the day, that is, keeps it holy, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God, right? Whether you eat, as long as you're doing it in honor of the Lord, with thanksgiving to God, whether you don't eat pork or whatever it may be, you don't eat that in honor of the Lord and in thanks to God. Paul seems to think that's what ultimately matters, the heart behind that practice. Um, So as we look at these verses, verse 5, for example, um, I think it's so profound that Paul just says, you need to live with conviction. If you're doing that devotional practice to the Lord, you need to be fully convinced in your own mind. There's something powerful about saying, this is what I feel I need to do. Um, There's something powerful about not being half-hearted. Like, if you're going to keep the Sabbath, you be a hardcore Sabbath-keeping, Jesus-loving Christian. And if you're going to not eat that thing or you're going to eat that thing, do it wholeheartedly in honor of Jesus with this gratitude in your heart. Um, why? Why can we do this? Well, it comes to this. For no one lives to himself, and no one, none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we're the Lord's. And then he roots all this in the death and resurrection of Jesus. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. And I want to bring in verses 22 and 23. He says, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. It's okay for that to be highly personal. If you in good faith and conscience are doing it this way, do it. Keep that between you and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And that's remarkable, I think. Paul's saying, look, if you can't do this particular activity in in your lifestyle and do it out of a place of good faith and conscience then that's actually sinful for you. I mean, those, those are my words. Those are Paul's words, right? I mean, and I think the point is you see how, the, how central the role of faith is in all of our living, right? Um, so there's some principles I want to um, pull out from this text for us that you guys can put in your bulletins. I always give you this generous space whenever I preach here. More, actually, it's just an empty space, which means I have nothing really of value to say in my message. So. Um, but I should have probably put these four principles in there. So if you want to take out your phone and snap a picture of the screen, you can. Or if you want to write them down, go for it. But 
These are four principles that I, I see relevant from, first, from Romans 14. First, there should be freedom to practice your devotion to Christ in different ways, free from judgment and scorn. I love that. Second, faith, honor, and thanksgiving serve to properly orient your devotion to Christ. Faith in Christ, honor to Christ, and thanksgiving for Christ. I don't know if I can wait for all of y'all to write this down. I give you permission to take out your cell phones and take a picture of the screen. Um, all right, second. Many things can be made sacred, or third, many things can be made sacred when done as an expression of your faith in honor of the Lord with a thankful heart. And this, I think, is the key. The practices and rituals can vary widely as long as Christ-centered faith, honor, and thanksgiving are present. Do y'all agree with this, by the way? <laughs> like, some of y'all are thinking, like, no, I despise this. I judge this. <laughs> um, I think this is true. I think this is what Paul is saying in Romans 14. Um, if I haven't convinced you, it's okay. Just pray for me in my delusions. Fourth. Our devotional practices flow from the place of belonging. Jesus' lordship is what undergirds this whole message in Romans 14. It's not this autonomous, like, you know, thing for you. Just, just go and whatever. It's, it's, you can practice creativity in your devotion to Christ, but it all flows from this place of deep belonging to Jesus. Him being your Lord. Um. So, let me give you an example of how I've done this in my life. Uh, there's a, a word in the Old Testament, um, a verb, uh, bara, uh, in, in Hebrew. And it's the word uh, that means to, is translated to create. And bara is used all throughout the, the Old Testament. Um, and of course, there's lots of places in the Old Testament where people are making stuff and fashioning things and creating things, um, God and people. Uh, but what I've, I love about the, the verb bara is it is only ever used in reference to God. Every single sentence in the Old Testament where uh, bara is found, God is the subject of the sentence. So this is a word that it exclusively refers to how God creates. Nobody bara's. Only God barahs. People fashion things, they make things, but only God. This is a royalty of who God is and what he does. Um, and I just thought that was, I remember just when I heard that, thought that was so beautiful. That, the, that all, this is consistent through the entire Old Testament. That every time an Old Testament writer talked about how God created, they talked about it as this unique thing that God and only God does. And no, no human does. Um, so I kind of thought like about, about a year ago, I was like, I'm going to give God a word. And so I decided, like, glorious. I'm only going to use glorious in reference to God or the ways of God. And so that's what I do. Like, God is glorious. The things God does are glorious. I don't say God is glorious and in the same sentence say cheeseburgers are glorious. I don't use the same adjective for those trivial things. 
I've made this word holy. I've set this word apart for sacred use. And it's become, it's just this thing I have with Jesus. I love it. It's my little Romans 14 thing. Now, I, I heard a, uh, a, a sermon by Bill Johnson one time, a uh, pastor out in California, talked about this guy who he knew who's a musician um, and, and uh, worship leader, and he had uh, two guitars. And one of his guitars was the one he used when he was on stage and, and leading in front of people. And the other guitar, he only ever played alone with the Lord. That guitar was a holy guitar. It was set apart for sacred use. Um, if you live, you live to the Lord. If you die, you die to the Lord. And my point is this. Uh, ask the Holy Spirit to give you creative ways to practice your devotion to Christ in ways that intersect with your life. That God wants to meet us in our living. He wants to meet us in, in the kitchens we cook in, in the community you fellowship with. Um, he wants to meet you in the neighbors that you live next to. And I think in, in, the, in the very real decisions you make, to redeem the times and the spaces that you've been given. You can make time sacred. You can make spaces sacred. Um, now, at some point in this sermon, you may, be, you may push back on me and say, like, Gabriel, isn't this all like Old Testament stuff, like holy ground, holy days, holy festivals? Uh, isn't that just like Old Covenant stuff? Um, I mean, what about Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well? In John 4, where she says, Jesus, is it, is it this mountain or is it the mountain that you Jews worship God on? Which is the place where God wants to be worshipped? And, and Jesus says, it's the, uh, the days are coming when it's not on this mountain or on that mountain that they will worship. But the Father is seeking worshippers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And in one fell swoop, Jesus decentralizes a place, right? Uh, the place where God is to be worshipped. So you may think, doesn't that mean that there's no such thing as sacred spaces? Or you may think of Colossians 2, 16 and 17, where the Apostle Paul will talk about the food laws and the holy days and the festivals in the Old Testament, and he'll call those shadows, but the substance was Christ, right? And again, you may say, doesn't that mean that, like, why would you, why would you go after a shadow? Don't you want the substance? And of course, I'd say, yes. I don't want the shadow. I want the substance. Um, but does that mean that the New Testament where Paul is anti-holy time, holy space, holy rituals? And I don't think so. Um, Paul didn't, I, I think, here's, here's what it comes down to for me, I think. Paul just despised any spirituality that didn't exalt the supremacy of Jesus in the finished work of the cross. After that, the forms could vary widely and the rituals could vary widely as long as that was held together. Here's an example. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So you might think, uh, so Paul's saying, look, Passover was always unto Jesus, right? And the ultimate Passover lamb has come. It's Jesus. So you might think Paul would say, let us therefore not celebrate Passover anymore. What does he say? Let us therefore celebrate the festival. This is profound to me, right? So Paul's saying, hey, as long as you reinterpret 
uh, it around Jesus, go for it. As long as faith in Christ, honor to Christ, and thanksgiving for Christ is at the core of that devotional practice, celebrate Passover. As long as Jesus is the, is the pillar of it, right? Um, in 1 Timothy 4, 3, he's talking to false teachers, and he says, he's talking about these people who forbid marriage, and they require abstinence from foods that God created to be received. Again, Thanksgiving is back with Thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And he says this, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And of course, you know, so in this text, there's people saying, you're forbidding marriage and forbidding eating certain animals. And Paul says, everything created by God is good. So, you know, he's clearly alluding to Genesis 1, right? Where God uh, makes the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the field, and every time he says, it's good. And he's alluding to chapter 2, where God saw that the man was alone, and he said, it is not good. And he makes Eve for Adam and constitutes marriage. And Paul's saying, look, don't call things that God's created um, good. Don't make the, a law against that. But not only that, he says, Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. It can be made holy by the word of God in prayer. And that's, that's incredible to me. That there's things that, and look in your life, things that you've been given, the good gifts of God's creation in your life, those can become sacred things as you receive them as God's word over and into your life, and as you agree with him in prayer. That becomes a holy thing. And this is like so cool to me. Um, I almost feel like, just go crazy with this. Um, and if at some point it's not, you can't do it in faith to Christ and honor to Christ and thanksgiving for Christ, it's probably heresy. That's my, uh, that's my little, like, fence for you. Otherwise, go love Jesus and find holy and sacred things with him. Um, people can be made holy. This is a crazy passage. I'm giving you all, like, some bizarre passages today, I know. Um, this is like weird, weird Bible verse Sunday. All right, so if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever uh, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it are, they are holy. And this is crazy, that literally unbelieving family members, by their association with the believer, are in a sense set apart. There is, in, in a sense, there's a target on them. Now, it doesn't mean they're saved, because in verse 16, it actually says, how do you know? Maybe uh, you will save your husband, wife, or how do you know? You may save your wife, husband. Um, but there is a sense in which they're set apart by their association with you. Isn't that so cool? I think that's fascinating. Um, so Jordan and I have a practice, uh, a sacred time practice that we have. When I was 16, I came across a verse that just like really impacted me. And it's uh, Psalm 143, verse 8, which says, um, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love. For I put my trust in you. Show me the way that I should go. For to you I lift up my soul. 
And uh, I started praying that each night uh, when I was in, in high school. And when Jordan and I got married in 2010, we brought that into our marriage. And so for the past nine years, um, at night, most nights we'll pray that. Lord, let the morning bring us word of your unfailing love. We have put our trust in you. Show us the way that we should go. For to you, we lift up our souls. And it's become a sacred moment for us. Even if I'm lying in bed and my brain's totally fried and I don't have the mental capacity to sit there and pray for 10 minutes, me and Jordan can pray Psalm 143, verse 8 together and experience a sacred moment with God. It's been made holy. What, what are ways that you can find sacred moments with God? That's actually, some of you may already have some. Some of you may be saying, I want to go on a journey of finding sacred things with God. Go for it. Um, you know, I think for, for Pastor Bart, for example, he was supposed to run the uh, Mercedes Marathon today and make it back for church like he usually does. Um, but he actually uh, was sick. He's sick this morning. So um, unfortunately, he missed um, the marathon and Weird Bible Verse Sunday. Um, although he's probably watching this right now. Um, you know, for him, I, I know that running is a way that he connects with God. Um, he feels connected to God when he runs. When I run, I feel connected to my mortality. I'm like, we're all going to die someday. Probably feel something like this. It's not really my thing, but uh, for me, it's actually gardening. It's interesting. This last year, uh, Mike and Tanya have uh, gotten Jordan and I into gardening, and it's been so much fun. And uh, just a uh, about a week or two ago, I was ripping a bunch of devil vine off of um, some American beauty bushes we have in our, our yard, and I was just, just quoting, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received, but thank you, Jesus, for my garden, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And I just kept saying that over and over again as I was transplanting bushes and enjoying that bit of creation that I have. Um, maybe you have sacred spaces in your life. Maybe you have a, a room dedicated to prayer or a closet. Um, you know, the, the fullness prayer chapels become a holy place for me. Um, I, I feel God there in a unique way for me personally. You may walk in there and be like, I don't feel anything. And that's okay. I'm not saying you don't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's a sacred space for me. You know, I like the fact that uh, this room is called uh, the sanctuary, um, which means holy place, right? What makes this room different than the foyer uh, is not that God is more present in this room than outside those double doors, because he's not more present here. Um, what makes this room different than the foyer is that this room has been devoted to the worship of God. It's been set apart for sacred use. This isn't a multi-purpose room. It's a sanctuary. This room has one purpose, and that's to provide a place for the people of God to worship his name, declare what he's done, and experience the power of his presence together. Throughout the uh, week, sometimes I'll walk in here, 
and just walk in this room for one reason or another. And I'll just feel God's pleasure in this room. And, it, and again, it's, it's not because God's found here in ways he can't be found elsewhere. I don't, I don't believe that. But it's because I just sense God's pleasure over having a place just dedicated to him. I just feel his pleasure when I'm in here, um, knowing that we get to give him that. Of course, there's lots of places in the earth that, that can't, right, for one reason or another. But we can, and it's a beautiful thing here in this country. Um, I just want to say, if you, if you walk in here, even, even in dark seasons of your life, and just say, God is in this holy place. Do that as an act of faith, um, as something in honor to the Lord, with thanksgiving to God for who he is, and you will feel more present to God in this place, regardless of how intensely you may or may not feel him during the rest of the service. I'm, I'm actually not speaking theoretically. I'm speaking from experience. This place is holy. Um, let me sum up a lot of this sermon by saying this. Uh, the psalmist meditated with their eyes open. That thought hit me a few weeks ago as I was reading the Psalms. Uh, the psalmist, when you read the Psalms, you find this devotional pursuit of God that intersects with every aspect of lived experience while still consumed with the glory of God. I want to live this way. I want to meditate on the glorious God and his glorious ways, not with my eyes shut to the world, but with my eyes open to the world, taking in my surroundings and, 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 and recovering a sense of holy moments to be had with God in this world. As I do that in my life, I find myself feeling more present to God in daily life. Um, as I said, the psalmist meditated with their eyes open. They didn't shut their eyes, forget their surroundings, and think otherworldly thoughts about God. And then come out with these like awesome psalms. They took in their surroundings and considered God as they moved through life. If you live, you live to the Lord, Paul would say. We need to learn to meditate with our eyes open. And I mean that spiritually and metaphorically, but I also mean that literally. In fact, I'd say that if the vast majority of the time you feel God's presence or you feel present to God or when your eyes are closed, that probably means there aren't very many things in this world that you find sacred. That's not guilt. That's an exhortation. To find God in the real world. Not to try to retreat into your thoughts and find God there and shut everything else off. It's not really the biblical way. Um, I, don't, I don't find uh, moments in the Bible where someone says, with every eye closed and every head bowed, everyone just you know, completely obliterate reality and find God. Now, I always wince a little bit when I hear worship leaders say something like, just close your eyes and just forget everyone around you. It's just you and God. Do that in your bedroom. Do, do that in your quiet times with the Lord. That's not what we're supposed to do here. We're supposed to take in our surroundings, take in the people of God, experience him together. That's what corporate worship is and always has been. 
All right, let me come to a close. Uh, there's another sacred thing we, we do, and we have a sacred meal. Uh, I love communion. Um, for me, uh, it's, it's holy. It's not common. It's set apart. This isn't, to me, common bread and drink. It's made holy by the word of God in prayer. Holy by, this is my body and this is my blood, the Son of God said in prayer as we give our prayer of consecration and dedication to this moment. It's holy. Um, and as we begin this participate series about participating with God, um, there's one sure way that you can know that you're participating with the presence of Jesus, and it is in the Lord's Supper. Paul says exactly that in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We do this as an expression of our faith in Christ, in honor to Christ, and thanksgiving for Christ. And as we do, it is holy. This isn't a common moment in time and space. Hopefully, you feel your appetite wet um, for this, to go through life pursuing sacred times and spaces that you've been given. And I think as we do, God becomes not this little add-on to our life, but something at the very center. If you live, live to the Lord. Um, with that said, let me invite us to the table. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. So come, all of you who have faith in Christ, and, and join us in this remembrance of Jesus. Come, you who feel far from God, and you who feel near. Come, you who feel clean, and you who feel dirty. Come, you who have been here often, and you have not been here very many times. Come, you who have been wounded, and you who have been healed. Come, you who have much, and you who have little. Come black, come white, come women, come men, come children who know our Savior. For the sinless life that you should have lived has been lived for you by Christ. The guilty death that you should have died has been died for you by Christ. We bring nothing to this table except faith. So come with empty and outstretched hands to receive the body and blood of Christ given for you. If I can invite our ushers forward, uh, the center aisles will come to this table in this section over here and this one over here. Come, receive the body and blood of Christ.
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took um, bread and the cup. He said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that was shed for you. Take and drink. He took the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. I can't invite Craig back up. And before we close today, let's just take a moment. Um, this song's called Not in a Hurry. And uh, let the, let's let that be in this moment. Um, as we go on to our Sundays and things we've got, let's just take a second to, um, again, seek to be present with the Lord um, in this moment. And I just want to encourage you as, you, as we sing this song, um, just ask the Lord, how can I be more present to you in the midst of my fast-paced, I assume, life um, that many of you are living? And I think he'll speak to you. Shout ahead in my own strength. You're right here, Lord. I don't want to rush out ahead in my own strength. You're right here. I'm not in a hurry when it comes to your spirit. When it comes to your presence, when it comes to your words, I'm learning to listen, just to rest in your nearness. I'm starting to notice you are speaking. I'm 
starting to notice you are speaking. Yes, your love is all around. Open my eyes, wanna see you. Open my ears, wanna hear you speak. Tell me your thoughts, what's on your mind. I'll be your friend, wanna see through your eyes. Wanna see through your eyes I'm not in a hurry When it comes to your spirit When it comes to your presence When it comes to your voice Learn it to listen Just to rest in your nearness I'm starting to notice you comes to your presence when it comes to your voice I'm learning to listen just to rest in your nearness I'm starting to notice you are speaking you are speaking You are speaking. You are speaking. Everywhere we go, you are speaking. To every person we meet, you're speaking. Just open up our minds. open up our eyes let's pray together but I don't want you to close your eyes and bow your heads so this may feel awkward look look around Let's talk to a very real, very present God who meets people in the real world in our lived experience. God, we thank you that you are here. You are in our lives. You're not somewhere else. We don't need to escape this world that you created. Everything you created, God, is good. We don't need to escape this world to find you, God. We don't escape our lives 
our schedules to find you, God. You are here. And God, I ask that you would meet with us in the midst of our living and not elsewhere, God. God, I ask that you would be present to us. And God, I ask that as we find ourselves more present to you, we would participate with you, what you are calling us to do in our lives and in this world. And God, I do just ask that you would give a creativity to us, God, of how we can find unique ways to express our faith to you, our honor to you, and our thanksgiving for you. Would you do that in your name, Jesus? Amen. Well, bless you guys.